everyone. Welcome to episode 237 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast on the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James. Uh, we're doing this on Monday night. Ryan just got back from the Brewers game. Uh, a quick one to nothing win for the Brewers. Uh, joined here by Paul as well. Ryan, how was the game? It was great, except my wife uh, lied to me about the seats that we were in. <laughs> I thought we were good seats, and then we got to there, and it was just our normal seats, which are, to be fair, very good seats. But I still thought we were going to be down in like the uh, the second deck right in front of Euchre is where at some point we have tickets up there for one of these bonus days, you know, when they give out those scratch-offs at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. We have tickets coming for that, but uh, I don't know. Sometime in the future, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you got a busy week ahead of you too. Going to a few Brewers games, so uh, uh, yep, getting them all in. You're carrying a pretty solid record, so I don't think any of us can really complain about that, right? Yeah, what no are you five and two now? No complaints. Yep, five and two after tonight. So yeah, really can't complain about that at all. And and I'll be going on a road trip. I'll be uh, catching one of the Brewers games in St. Louis uh, during Memorial Day weekend. So hopefully your good juju wears off on me and, and we can carry that in, uh, even though apparently I'm getting a, a cursed Yachty Molina t- coffee tumbler or something. I don't know. We're going to have what? to figure out what? something to Wait, do with that. What? That's a, Why? That's a, it's a giveaway. That's what they're doing. It's Wait, a, uh, a coffee tumbler? Like it's like a Yeti tumbler or whatever, but they, they painted the outside uh, otter yachty it's it's gonna be uh something i never use once famous coffee consumer yadier molina of course i guess yeah what he's known for yes yeah uh yeah of course so that'll be fun at least uh but yeah uh i can't wait to get to a game too and and glad that uh (laughs) you all have gotten a chance to do that so uh Better start to this week, I guess, than last week, but we'll we'll dive into that. Uh, kind of an up and down week for the Brewers. But uh, before we get started, if you'd like to support us, a reminder, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. That'll get you a question priority on all podcasts on the network. Five bucks a month gets you that question priority, plus some extra subscriber exclusive content, uh, including that minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. And they have a new episode that dropped in the last week that you can check out as well. Right, Ryan? Yeah, we do. And we talked about some guys who are breaking out currently in the minors for the Brewers, and especially one 18-year-old at A-Ball that is turning a lot of heads nationwide. Uh, James came in with him as like the number one item he wanted to talk about this week. So uh, I was very, very happy to hear all the, the rave reviews. I'd, I'd seen some of the talk, some of the chatter myself, but uh, we'll just leave that for people to imagine who that might be. If you are listening to this, you probably good chance, you know, but uh, <laughs> if you don't, then uh, that's an incentive for you to to pick it up and listen to it because James had lots of nice things to say about him and actually had some information about TJ Shook that we had been kind of searching for. I had been asking around and trying to get information. And so James talked to a uh, friend who does uh, some pretty deep dive analytic stuff on pitchers to get a, a pretty clear breakdown of what uh, Shook's stuff was. And the the word that came back was not negative. We we're pretty happy about the results on that discussion. <laughs> so yeah, lots of good things to uh, listen to on this week's Minor League Extra. 
yeah, definitely worth checking out. Uh, see who that mystery minor leaguer is. Although I think if you follow Ryan <laughs> or the podcast network account, it's probably spoiled for you. But uh, hey, uh, worth checking out as well. And, and just definitely a good listen to, to to get caught up on all things minor leagues now that we're, you know, getting into that season as well. Um, I guess at the big league level, things could have gone better in the last week for the Brewers. They did end on a kind of a higher note taking two out of three in Miami uh but it may have come at a little bit of a cost you know Willie Adamas got hurt in the first inning on Sunday hurt his ankle uh Craig Council said an IL stint maybe in his future he was out of the lineup on Monday uh, of course he's he's tied for the team league in home or team lead in home runs easy for me to say uh still a, a pretty important piece of the lineup even if he's not maybe hitting to the levels that we saw last year. So I guess let's just start there. Paul, any concerns about the lineup without Willie Adamas there? Uh, yes. Um, he has been one of their best players. And even though they've been quite a bit better lately as a unit, um, it's not like they're swimming in depth to replace. And now they've got Urias back. That helps a lot. I guess maybe timing is fortuitous there, but it's not like you want the Brewers taking a lot of knocks to the lineup. Um, uh, so it, it, he's like their best offensive player. He's very, very good. We, we don't want to lose Willie for any length of time. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's not great, but you know, it also doesn't look like it's going to be that serious. Hopefully, it may be an aisle stint, but um, nobody seemed terribly concerned it would be a, like threatening the season or even that long of amount of time. And they can scuttle through for a little bit. So these things happen over the course of a baseball season. Everybody misses a little time. Everybody gets leg injuries here and there and it sounds like just the first one that they have to work through so i don't think it's a huge deal and they might go you know 500 where they otherwise would have gone one game over 500 without him but that's fine yeah i think that all of that is pretty true i'm a little concerned and you know my guess mildly annoyed at the idea that they let him back into the field after he heard it when <laughs> he like his initial reaction to that was Oh my God, he he's seriously hurt because he slapped the ground and yelled, and you could see he was really like freaked out about it for a second there, and then he's back up and he like hobbles down the the tunnel, and the next thing you see, he's back out with like high tops on, and I I, I said it on Twitter, I'm like I don't understand why he's in the game. I, this just doesn't seem to make any sense, and he you know that was the last half inning he was out there. He didn't bat in the the next inning, and then he was done, and I just. It gave me bad Jimmy vibes, Jimmy vibes, Jimmy Nelson Jimmy vibes. Nelson vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy vibes, Jimmy vibes. Yeah. Well, the episode is named now. So that's yes, it is. That is, that is true. Just bad a couple Jimmy minutes vibes. in, but yeah. Remember when he came back out after he had like seriously destroyed his shoulder and he tried to throw yeah, for yeah. an inning and that was not great. And it almost certainly like didn't do extra damage to him or anything, but you just don't like to see it. Also, shades of torn Giovanni uh, ACL pitching. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. Yeah. yeah, so you just don't love to see it. And they're so good about injuries generally that I'm not going to yeah. harangue on this, but it, it's not ideal. It's not what you like to see. So none of it's good. But uh, Adamus has been a, a, a critical player for them this year. I actually had a discussion on Twitter about this, and I had to like, I almost had to like take a a step back and ask myself, like, what, what are we talking about here? Because he's like, well, Adamus is having a down year. And <laughs> I went, he, he's, he's, you know, like 
twenty percent above the league average in terms of uh in terms of hitting, yeah. and that's at while playing like an exceptional defensive shortstop. That's a all star. That's a you know like a potential and MVP candidate. I know. I know everybody is now well aware that the offensive uh, profile of the league is down, but it's worth noting Willie Adams is tied for fifth in all of Major League Baseball and home runs, uh, as mm-hmm. is Hunter Ren- as is Hunter Renfro. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so that's what we're looking at here in terms of you know the company that they're in. The only guys above Adamas and Renfro are uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Byron Buxton, um, John, or Jonathan Judge, <laughs> not, <laughs> not not Jonathan, uh, the the other one, uh, the less famous one, <laughs> the, the less fam- and, and Jordan Alvarez. So um, that's it, you know, and all of those guys are outstanding. So. Um, mm-hmm. He may he may look down from last year, but everybody looks down from last year, and he's still putting up huge numbers compared to the league. Well, and I think what got what gets people on this is that he has a two hundred eight batting average, right? And it's so batting average and on base are down. So well, and that takes but everything but down. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Like we always used to say, batting average doesn't matter. We we poo poo it, but like the difference between batting average and on base percentage uh, is a big deal. And when batting averages go down, it kind of kills the thing everybody look at, everybody is, is looking at from the Saber perspective, like. I think his is 308 right now. That sucks, but it's great when you're hitting 208. And you know, <laughs> most of the league has a bad batting average, so uh, we should we should you know can't be assuming people are going to have 400s routinely this year. It's just not happening. Well, and the other thing was when I looked a couple days ago, and I don't have it up in front of me. I'm looking right now. He's at 304 for a non-base percentage. Okay, and when I looked before, he was at 306, and the league average was 308. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was basically average in terms of getting on base and then a slugging that's, you know, was like 70, 80 points higher than the league average. And that is with a really low batting average. And to be really clear about what's going on here, why the batting average is so low, he has a 228 batting average on balls in play. Of course he does. And he's a career 334 batting average on balls in play again because he's <laughs> fast and he tends to just sort of hit in a way that like he gets down the line pretty well and is able to get. Yeah, when he puts the ball in play, he, he's doing a pretty good job. The, the strikeout rate is not what you want to see, but it's actually come back into line from where mm-hmm. he was uh, at the beginning of the season. He, he was really yeah. like putting up some big strikeout numbers early on, but has it right back to where he was for the bulk of last season. So it was 28.1% last year, 284 now. Yeah, he's probably the best all-around player, the most important player on the Brewers, and you don't want to be out like – have him out of your lineup for a long period of time, but you could probably survive it in the short term, especially just sort of given the way the rest of the lineup is going right now. They're getting production up and down this lineup from mm-hmm. all kinds of places, including like Jace Peterson, who, by the way, I don't know if you saw coming into tonight, he'd gone back over <laughs> the uh, league average OPS plus. Sure had. And it was like, <laughs> I, where did that come from? Yeah, yeah that very much ago, came we're out talking about him being we're like him. one of the worst. Yeah. So that was really good to see. And you just look up and down the lineup and really the only hole here is Lorenzo Kane. And I know we have a question about that. So I'll wait. Yeah, I guess uh, before we get to to the rest of the lineup. So Monday night, we saw, as you guys mentioned, where you slide to shortstop. Jace Peterson played third base. I guess Ryan is that. And I guess maybe Brasso, you know, again, against lefties. Is that the most likely way that they fill this absence? Or is there a chance that maybe we see Bryce Terang? who's not doing too bad at AAA. Yeah, that's going to be tricky because they're already going to have to make a roster move with Andrew McCutcheon. Yep. And so that's 
already kind of a problem. My guess Bryce is not on the 40 man either. I should mention that. So. Yeah. Also a huge, huge thing for that. I think that the timing of this, just the way everything is kind of working right now, probably works against him. I don't think they want to send Mike Brousseau back down after just having him you know, come back up. So I think that they want to have him still stay in the major leagues. To me, that says that they're not going to want to, uh, you know, like, because they'd have to really send Brousseau down for, a, there'd be no way to keep him on the roster if you're going to bring back both McCutcheon yep. and Terang. So you'd pretty much have to send Brousseau down at that point. So if he does hit the IL, my guess is, I don't know, Pablo Reyes. Yeah. Because he's already on the yeah. 40. Pablo Reyes time. Yeah. It's not right. exciting, but like Reyes does do some things. Like he, he, he does. He has some defensive utility out there and isn't a complete cipher with the bat. Like he's not useless with the bat. He can do some things. So like Isn't he like all he the all of the rest of the team where he is a lefty masher? Am I re- remembering that correctly? That does sound right. Yes. Looks yeah. looks to be correct, yes. Yeah, it's oh. the, his only redeeming quality as an offensive player. <laughs> I still has, hate Pablo Reyes. For, for his sorry. career, he has an 840 OPS against left-handers and a 551 against right-handers. So he fits fits right in with this team. Man, Colton Wong is back above average, too. This is, like, yeah. insane. Colton, Colton's been insane lately uh, and doing a very good job leading off. He also it has been just a terror on the base paths um he is tied for third in the league with eight stolen bases he's only been caught once um in addition to just hammering the crap out of it for the last few days so he's been really good really turned it around yeah it's it's amazing what a couple series against the reds pitching staff will do right (laughs) they're so bad Really bad, and that—that's what made last week so frustrating too. Also, I just that. hate playing the Reds in that stupid ballpark, and and we got more questions about that. But uh, I guess before we backtrack there, uh, the week ahead, let's talk about that a little bit. So the Brewers are back home, obviously, for six games this week before they head back out on another friggin' marathon of a road trip. They play ten games in nine days to close out the month on the road. Uh, Thanks to that doubleheader in Chicago. So that's not great. But hey, in the meantime, they've got a, a nice little homestand here against the NL East. That leads us to our first Patreon question from PJ Vessels asking uh, double NL East homestand with a day off in the middle. Should the Brewers be most excited about getting the Braves games done with for this year, getting a day off at home or three games against the Nats? What are you all most excited about? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Which of those is most appealing? I'm pretty happy to have cleared the Braves, I think. Um, They are, you know, they're not having a great season so far. It's a little bit of a weird one. The Mets are dominating that division. But, uh, you know, they were the big bads last year. And it's nice to, whenever you can clear a bad team for the season, it's like, or a good team, it's one less good team to play and a bunch more Reds and Pirates games in comparison. So it's kind of nice. I think that's probably what I'm looking forward to most. But, uh uh, a, a home day off is also good, but I mean, you can't look forward to a day off. I want to see baseball played. It's not exciting. Um, so th- I'll, I'll go with that, but you know, whatever. Yeah. It's good to clear the Braves at a time when like Ron Lucuna Jr. is not, well, he didn't even play today. And yeah, I don't know does. if he's going to be healthy for the remainder of the series. He's not on the IL, but he's been kind of 
in and out of the lineup somewhat since he came back. He's still not kind of fully back into form. So it's good to take care of the Braves before you have to deal with that guy a bunch. Yep. Like he can go out and he can torture you for a series. He's one of those guys that can, you know, kind of the way Christian Yelich would torture the Reds. He could just <laughs> single handedly torture a team through a series and just, you know, completely uh, knock you out of it. So I it's good I've, to get that I've, out of the way. I've mentioned, I think, I think I hate the Braves more than anybody else on this podcast to you. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think I think that the traitorness of their existence harder than everybody else does. So, um, uh, getting I, I don't want to see them i hate them and uh yeah they can go away yeah their fans seem particularly awful too we had a, a braves fan behind us tonight yelling just weird dumb things that was <laughs> like a couple <laughs> rows up and back and like i couldn't even really put my finger on it like to because normally when we get a situation like that i'll i'll tweet out some uh, tidbits of the the nonsense coming out of the mouth of the the opposing fan and i couldn't even really put my finger on any of it because it was just dumb and it was just like nonsensical so Braves fans are kind of awful so some of their responses to the tweets from the Brewers account uh, after the last series about Marcelo Zuno that were just gross and so yeah like Mm. I just I have no love for Braves fans at this point that and their what they do at their state like just it's all crap no I just want them to go away yeah, we had this talk last year during the playoff run too, yeah, right? Like I, I kind of I want to cheer for them because they've got a lot of young, exciting players. But man, all the the extra stuff just makes it tough. And, mm-hmm. and Paul, I feel like you're like an old school Browns fan who just hate the Ravens because, yeah. like, you know, the same reason, right? They just same deal. Yeah, pretty so. much checks out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'm glad to kind of get the Braves games done before they really hit their stride. I do think, you know, that there's still a lot of really good pieces there. I do think that they make a run towards the second half of the season, uh, probably similar to last year. And I'm glad that the Brewers will not have to deal with that in the second half of the season as well. So uh, that's nice. And and the Nationals are terrible. So hopefully it'll be nice to to pick up another series win before uh, going back on that marathon road trip there. But uh, you know, don't count chickens before they're hatched or Indeed. don't count wins against the Reds before uh, they're actually wins, as we learned <laughs> last week. So there's that. All right. Uh, more Patreon questions to get to this week. Uh, this next one comes from Jay Google. Jay is asking, is there a trend that the Brewers have that is becoming concerning so far this season? Um, I guess for me, I, I was going to say this uh, before Monday night, but, you know, the starting pitching beyond Corbin Burns has kind of been not as good as it expected i guess and and a lot of that is you know brandon woodruff's really really crappy luck and and just occasional flare-ups with with the other guys in the rotation but then freddie went out and threw seven shutout innings and struck out 10 and you know suddenly that looks great so um i guess paul let's start with you is there a trend or an area of the team that you know we're we're a month and a half in or so uh that's concerning you right now I don't think there's any that are too worrisome. I I would say your your big one is I, first of all I think starting pitching will be okay. Um, I think we started to see those guys kind of get into form now, and um, I I do think that they'll be fine. They're not worried about it. But bullpen depth I think is potentially an issue with Cousins on the IL. Um, they're still they're not bad. They have when you have a lot of depth to start with, you have a lot of depth to work with. But uh, I, I do feel like they've been pressed. Um, a little bit on that um, over the last week. And you know, if they happen to lose another 
important guy, it would it would be severely detrimental. So um, they're not quite at full strength, but they're still fine. I mean, haters still just automatic. And Williams was sensational tonight, and they can muddle their way through middle relief outings, but um, th- they are, I think, a little vulnerable there. Um, I, I think maybe the biggest one for me is um, they haven't actually lit up left-handed pitching like they're supposed yeah. to. Um, Still, you know, yeah. They haven't really been too bad against righties, to their credit. That uh, They're not really built to hammer them, but it would be nice if they actually were able to take advantage um, of what they're supposed to be good at. Um, and they have a bunch of guys who should be platoon strengths against left-handed pitching, and they just haven't really been that so far. They have a higher OPS against righties. It's kind of weird. Um, I mean, part of that's good, part of that's the yellow rebounding, but uh, it would be nice to see their right-handed bats actually kind of come to form and start to actually blow some lefties out of the water when they get the chance to. So um, it's not a huge concern because most of the league is right-handed, but it's supposed to be a strength, and it would be nice if it actually was a strength. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing for me, I was just looking at this to make sure that I'm on the right track, and I am. Um, they're still walking too many people. I mean, this is not a team, pitching-wise, that should be doing that. And granted, they they are also far and away striking out more batters than anybody else in the league, uh, especially after tonight. That would have that would have only grown in terms of the lead there. But um, they are fifth in the National League in walks and. You don't like to see that. I like to see as wide a split as possible between the strikeouts and the walks. And it's been certain guys have really had problems with it. Devin Williams had a lot of walk issues. Um, Weirdly, Hauser's been bad. Yeah, Hauser has been bad from that perspective, like way more than you'd expect. And so, yeah, I, I think they will get this sort of sorted out. But you don't like to see this many free passes being given out. Yeah, it's just frustrating to watch too. Right? It is, like it this, is. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's also been a big Ashby problem, which is something yeah. that would be nice to see him get under control because I think we all see there's there's like star potential there with him, and that has been his bugaboo so far this season. Uh, so it was really nice to see him when he had his absolute dominant outing to finish off the Marlins on Sunday. Yes, it was that he didn't walk anybody in that. That was that was excellent. Yeah, that was a really big deal. But we talked about this on last week's pod when you weren't on, Paul, and it was like it, people were asking, was well, it time to turn to Ethan Small? And it was like, well, no, because Ethan Small, if you want guys who <laughs> don't walk people and whose command is really good, Ethan Small's a lot of things, but he ain't that. So, yeah, like it, you just kind of have to I think, gut it out and just live with it. And they will I, they will find ways to improve this as the season goes on. I think some of it might too be just like. I think they've given more innings to some of the bad relievers than they probably will over the long haul in the season at this <laughs> I point. Hope so. Sure. Yeah. If they did punt a lot. That is true. You're right about that. Well, there have been, yeah, there have been a significant number of punt games where yeah. they've done that. And, you know, uh, I guess Gustave is accounting for five of the walks. Well, Devin Williams, 11 of them. Though he did look really good tonight. So that's, <laughs> yeah. But Aaron Ashby, to your point, Aaron Ashby has 17 of the walks in 27 of the team innings pit, or of his innings pitched. Yeah. And 17 walks is, man, that's like 12, 13% of their total for the season. So yep. he's, <laughs> he is accounting for a lot more than his fair share of the walks. 
Yeah, and, and like you look at the team ERA rate rankings too, right? And obviously not a perfect stat, but just kind of get a ballpark image. And that's, you know, I think where some people would look at that and be like, oh, that the Brewers are a lot lower than we would expect, you know, one of the pitching staffs that were expected to be one of the best in the league to be. But the walks are a big deal uh, when it comes to that, right? Because yeah. that's where a lot of that damage has come from, Um whether it's, you know, guys like Ashby or Williams walking the bases loaded and then the lesser arms giving up those runs. And it, I, I do think that'll clear up uh, as the season goes on. But uh, it's just one of those things, too. Like, do you blame the quick spring training and, and guys not quite being on their game yet? Or, you know, there's all these factors to, to consider. And and we're a little more than a month into the season, too. And I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not terribly concerned long-term about that but well no you look up and down the the rotation too and currently brandon woodruff has the high fip of the group at 3.73 if yeah, you have a, a five-man rotation actually highest of the six who've gotten starts because aaron ashby is 3.62 so yeah. like yeah. if the highest of your six-man rotation group is 3.73 in terms of fip you're doing great like you're you have nothing yeah. to complain about and nothing really that should worry you that much. Mm -hmm. But still, those walks are <laughs> troubling. Right. I mean, yeah, that'll that'll come around to haunt you, especially to, I think, you know, we've seen some uh, less than consistent defensive play, especially from like guys like Colton Wong, who you just expect to make every single play too, right? And I think that's really hurt uh, a lot of the, the run prevention as well. Yeah. They had a bad defensive week. They were really not sharp and they haven't been their normal selves all season, but it, uh, they were, I feel like, especially bad over the last week and cost them a couple games. Yeah, the thing about it is, though, if you look at the overall metrics, defensively, they're still basically an average team because they they get to a lot of baseballs. Their their underlying abilities are good. They've just made a lot of mistakes. And so that's what's kind of throwing them and making taking them from what should be a very good defensive team to being an average one. But it, they, it looks worse because what we're seeing is the mistakes and what we're mm -hmm. seeing is stuff that really should be correctable. Like I noticed tonight, I don't know how well it came across on TV. There was a play Colton Wong made where he did not need to rush a throw and did. And I was like, why are you, why are you pushing this so hard from out in right field where you didn't need to make like some amazing athletic acrobatic play. You could have set and thrown and been fine. And he didn't. And I'm just like, it worked. It was fine. He didn't end up throwing the ball away there, but you kind of wonder like, they seem to be pressing a little bit in the field, maybe like they're they're yeah. trying too hard. Mike Brousseau definitely on Sunday's game. Uh, poor guy comes in in the second inning and immediately has two hard, really hard plays to make and botches ball them both. Find you. Yeah, yeah, the ball will find you, and he immediately <laughs> botches them both, and you're just like, oh, that is not ideal. And that was what led to Woodruff giving up the uh, the unearned runs that he did give up on Sunday. Was mm -hmm. that play right there, or those two plays? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess in that vein, too, Adrian Hauser, somebody who really depends on a good defensive play behind him, hasn't always gotten it, uh, also had a, a rough outing in the last week against the Reds. Another one, um, even without Jesse Winker there, his his uh, <laughs> you know super villain opponent. But uh, I guess that leads us to our next Patreon question from Mark Podscarby asking, why does Adrian Hauser suck against the Reds? <laughs> and 
you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you see teams so many times that maybe you start to think things that aren't necessarily true. But this is not one of those times. This is absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, so I've got his career splits up here in, uh, let's see, 13 career games against the Cincinnati Reds. He has allowed a batting line of 286, 367, 522. He's allowed an 889 OPS against the Cincinnati Reds, which is horrible, uh, to say the least. It, it's not good at all. He's allowed 11 home runs against the Reds. I believe, yes, that is by far the most against any team that he's given up, mm -hmm. uh, especially egregious considering that Adrian Hauser, not a fly ball pitcher. So when you give up 11 home runs in 13 games and your next highest is the Cubs at five, the Pirates also at five, uh, it's pretty clear that, that the Reds have his number. So I guess, Paul, is there anything that he does that the Reds just take advantage <laughs> of? Or is this just a bad luck thing? Like every guy has that one team. I don't know what's going on, really. Um, so I suspect it's mostly just a bad luck thing. Uh, Hauser was, uh, you know, earlier in his career, a rookie. And I think I think that got him into some trouble with a few teams, and you know they play the Reds a lot in a small park, and that'll cost you. So I think part of it is kind of front loading there, but most of it's just bad luck. And um, the Great American Ballpark also being teeny tiny, he has a 908 OPS against playing in the Great American Ballpark, um, and that's a big part of it too. I mean. Um, he he is also more prone to contact than a lot of the rest of the Brewers pitchers. Not that he's a, not a good strikeout pitcher. He's okay. But contact plus bad splits plus tiny ballpark, that's going to happen sometimes. And I think that that's really just the equation there. Yeah, looking at what he's done just this year, because I think we need to throw out most of what's happened in the past. Other yeah. than like some of the park stuff, I think does is valid. And the fact that Jesse Winker just owned him. And there was a reason that Jesse Winker partic in particular owned him because he's a pitcher who likes the ball down or sorry. He's a left handed hitter who likes the ball down. And that yeah. plays right yeah. into where uh, Adrian Hauser is trying to do his work. So <laughs> that makes sense. But. Even this year without Winker and with really just a horrible, I mean, uh, no Joey Votto even uh, as far as what the Brewers have seen from the Reds at all. And nine innings, nine strikeouts. So that's actually more than what he generally does. He's striking guys out, but he has five walks and he's given up 13 hits. And that really just does kind of come down to it. It looks like there's a, like sort of a combination of bad sequencing because he's given up 12 runs, only seven of them earned. But he's given up 12 runs in nine innings on 18 base runners. Like, that's wild. That's actually mm -hmm. kind of insane. So that is not, like, normally. So, again, somewhat unlucky against the Reds, but also just... I think they were they were kind of stinging balls all over the park on him, at least in that first start. I didn't see much of the second start because I think that was one that was during the daytime. But... Yeah, I, I wouldn't read anything too much into this other than to say that, like, Adrian Hauser is going to have some issues with certain teams at certain times. I just would have never expected it to be these Reds because where's the <laughs> right. left-handed power on this team? I don't Right, exactly. Yeah. There's so, not a lot there. Moustakas-ish, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean but 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask too, like we've talked about teams like the Giants, right? Specifically molding teams to uh, deal with swing planes and stuff like that. So I was going to ask, maybe the Reds have done something like that or they have some sort of intel on Adrian Hauser, whether it's through Derek Johnson or some other means, right? Like, I, so I think the- it's more likely Ryan was on the right track earlier when it was just that they happened to walk into that kind of line of construction against Hauser. Yeah. I mean, it's not unusual for left-handed power hitters generally to like the ball down. It, it's sort of a development that happens it, in, when you're growing up because you face mostly right-handed pitchers and from the left-handed batter's box, you see the ball for the longest amount of time when it comes from high to low across the plates. And so they'll get good at hitting it. So um, if you happen to have a bunch of low ball hitters against a sinker baller with bad platoon splits, that'll happen. And I suspect that they didn't try to do it on purpose for Hauser. I think that that's just how they were constructed for a while. Yeah, and I would hesitate to give the Reds any credit on anything because I think that that organization (laughs) is a tire fire of uh, malfeasance right now. Did you see? I I was tweeting about this, and I'm sure it came during the Bucks game, so most people missed this. But did you see what they did to Hunter Green on Sunday? I mean, just on on the no-hitter? Yeah, well, they had him out there. For 117 pitches, he Oof. came out for the eighth at 103 pitches. And is it so, because he had the no hitter going, right? Still? Well, obviously, it definitely, be- is, yes. definitely because he had the no hitter going. But the manager has to understand in that situation, there's no way he's finishing this game. Like, that is not going to happen. He's not going to finish this game. Right. I mean, what's the, losing. Also, you're losing, but what, what's the situation? Well, no, they you, weren't yet. They, oh, they, they, it was still they right. fell was behind the because of that inning. He put a couple of guys yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. He had a couple long at-bats and walked people, and so he gets yanked at 100 and, 117 pitches or 118, whatever it was. Yep. And this was just clearly a case of a manager not wanting to pull a guy and to have to take that. He was He was praying that he would give up a hit. And he couldn't find the strike zone well enough to give up a hit. He just walked a couple guys, so it ended up uh, it ended up kind of uh, completely backfiring on him. But that is such a failure of leadership. I would have not let him on the damn plane. Like that is that shows me a manager who is scared to lead, scared to take control of the team. That it's literally his job to do that, and mm-hmm. you're doing this at the expense of a. 22 year old who you invested the number two pick in and who's already had Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Yeah. He's already had Tommy John surgery. Like that is malpractice. It is straight up malpractice. And it's, it shows like managerial cowardice. And you you just like, you think about Craig council. You, you cannot imagine Craig council doing something like that. You just, you know, he would do it and he would wear it and it would, it would suck. And he would, you know, people would get mad at him and everything. But it, it just absolutely asinine. Like yep, he yep. should have been fired probably actually a while ago. But well, yeah, but that's the move of a guy who knows he's getting fired at the all-star break. Right. Like he he's trying to like squeeze out a win wherever he can. And he, he's just thinking about it the entirely wrong way. And this is also the danger too of a guy that you know you're going to fire but he's handling your most prized possessions in the organization right this is called the moral hazard this is yeah. something keith law has hammered on for i i learned about this from him i don't know in 2008 or something and it is it's when you have a guy who is and this is mostly pertains to gms 
But when you have decided that this guy is not going to be the person for you, but you're going to let him hang around and make big decisions for your club, you are begging to have that guy make moves that are only going to benefit him in the short term to try to get him to hold on to his job and that are going to hurt you long term, you know, whether that Absolutely. be a trade or a signing, like you're begging for those bad things to happen. And the, yeah. it's just it's so typical of the Reds. You just go, this is an, an organization that is absolutely shittily managed from top to bottom. Though we have another contender, because did you see the thing this week about how uh, uh, Dick Monfort's son is the scouting director of the uh, Rockies now? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No. I love baseball nepotism. It didn't, that's, but that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and there's an article about it, and there's like, well, how did how did this happen? And everybody's like, well, isn't it just amazing that so many of these sons of, of owners are so good at being baseball people? Like they just they, they understand baseball so well. It's it's just in the, it's blood. the genes. That's what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's... remember when we thought that maybe could happen with the Brewers? We were there's like worries about it a little bit when Mark's. Uh, it wasn't his son. It was his son's friend from prep school was like helping build out their <laughs> uh, their Diamond Vision, you know, uh, computer system or whatever. Like it's like ten years ago now. But when that whole thing happened, and people were like kind of worried oh, about God. that. Yeah. But it didn't. It didn't turn out to come to fruition. No, no. But he, he just encouraged his friends to to start a crappy garage band instead. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if, if 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 we all just have to listen to one really bad national anthem every year, it's probably worth it that he's not tinkering in the front office. Yep. So I miss Joe's sea shanty version from opening days because <laughs> you know what. Say what you want about about any of this, but that man could get an anthem in in like a minute and a half flat. Like he cruised through that thing, and it was wonderful. It's fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Uh, next Patreon question we have comes from Adam Post asking, "Why does the padding on the walls of most stadiums stop just high <laughs> enough above the ground that the ball can get wedged under it?" So, of course, you know, famously, Prince Fielder had an inside the park home run because I think it was Alex Rios just decided to say, hey, it's stuck. I can't get it out. And the ump was like, just pick it up, man. Uh, But this is a phenomenon we've seen over and over again, Paul. Yeah. First of all, um, the the Brewers announcers did mess this up a little bit when it happened because um, they made the same mistake Alex Rios did, which is the, the throw your hands up rule is Wrigley specific. It, I mean, it is stadium specific what happens when things get wedged. And Prince Fielder's in the park home run happened because of that, mostly because um, he thought it was out of play and he threw his hands up and it wasn't because it's not a rule and he ran all the way around the bases. But this is a good question because uh, my first thought on answering it was well, they don't make the pads go to the ground because just installation wise, there's got to be some space there. It, it's hard to install something that goes all the way to dirt. But you don't have to install something that goes all the way to dirt. You just have to install right. something that goes lower than the height of a baseball. We're talking um, like a half inch here, yeah, right? Like an like, extra half on. inch would prevent it from happening. And um, I, I, I don't think there's a good reason for it. However, I, I did, upon giving this some additional thought, stumble upon what I think is the most plausible reason, uh, which is that most of those sort of fences, let's call them fences, the things that separate the, the rails, whatever, the fans from the stadium, are built in the following way. They have thick pipes around the edge. 
and then sort of a grate of some kind in the middle, a netting or a metal holy piece of metal. And those pipes are, I, you know, not anything special. They're not specialized pipes. I'm sure they're just pipes that you get from the company that makes railings. And I suspect those pipes just happen to be the approximate width of a baseball. And so if you're using piping all the way around that happens to be the approximate width of the baseball and you're installing the padding in the middle section, that will just happen to be how wide it is. So I think your answer is the, the, to this question is, it is the standard size of the railing pipe that they use to to put in the the, the railing fences, whatever, in stadiums. And that's it. Yeah, the thing is, this ground rule was insanely weird. And the discussion around this on, on what happened on Sunday, it was so bizarre because isn't the whole point of having this rule where if the ball gets wedged, the defender is the one who says, okay, I can't get to this ball. Therefore, it's, you know, it, it's a, um, was it a, a ball that's out of play wedged or whatever? Well, I can't even remember what exactly they called it, but like this ball is is now out of play because of this. And that's done to benefit the defender when they can't get to a baseball, right? That is the entire purpose of having that rule. Right. In, in a standard play, it results in a ground rule double. It is preventing a triple or a home run. Like that is what is happening. Yeah. Um, so the way that this played out on Sunday was completely ass backwards because the the ball scoots away and gets over there on what would have been you know a, a called third strike or sorry not a called third strike a, a swinging strike that ends up in the dirt. So you have the the runner who's basically given himself up at the plate and is standing there. And the uh, the defender goes over, picks up the ball, throws it down to the first baseman to retire the player. And for some reason, the umpires decide to award the batter first base for no good reason whatsoever. And you could like he clearly could could get it down there and 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 do that. And why should the batter benefit by a ball that gets stuck? In that situation, even like even if that was the case where the ball did get stuck, why should that benefit the batter who just struck out? Like that is, that is, it's just so bizarre, and I've never seen anything like it. And so it is pretty weird. Um, I think that the, the he gave himself up argument is much better here because he clearly wasn't trying to get to first base. However, it's worth noting on on a pass ball third strike or wild pitch third strike, you don't actually have to stop at first. Um, so I, I know it wasn't wet. I know that like it was easy to grab, but on the wedge scenario, usually what's assumed is it's hard to get out or hard to find. Um, and if it was wedged really hard, a runner could keep running. Like you could actually go all the way around the bases. So, um, I know that it, it's a weird hypothetical. It's a weird situation, but I think that's probably the reason that they rule that way is because, um, it, it's not a dead ball. You can keep going as long as you can keep advancing. Yeah, but yeah, the runner didn't even want to. He do did. That. He, was, that... he should have been. He should have been declared out because he he didn't try to go to first, and that is the rule. When you don't try to go to first, you're out. Yeah, it was just yeah. really stupid and bizarre from beginning to end. Yeah, the banner couple of days for weird umpire calls for the mm-hmm. Brewers too, because on Monday night they had the weird trapping whatever at second base on the the liner. It was just. Really weird confusion all around. So, uh, man, the Brewers just seem to like attract these things. They really do. 
And, and I can't tell like if it's just because we watch them more that we notice this stuff, or if it's just legitimately I mean, the Brewers attract this weirdness. I think that uh, maybe other teams' fans could do this too, but we have two very weird prints inside the park home runs. We have the ball getting yes. stuck. We have hitting hitting the roof of the Metrodome. We have Gene Segura stealing backwards, which is, <laughs> yes. has never happened before and will never happen again. We have Richie Sexton hitting that flagpole in Houston. The stupid flagpole. Yes. Like the, uh, yes, and I don't think anybody else ever did, did they? No, because every time so. they would go there, they would show the, the spot of the flagpole. <laughs> the death that, yeah. that was still there. So I do think it happens. It has happened to them more. Um, it's hard to define. Uh, might be wrong, but it seems like it is quite possibly a, a Brewer thing. Ugh, this franchise is cursed, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, one last Patreon question to get to. It comes from Ted Johnson asking, can Joey Weaver play center field? In all seriousness, do you think the Brewers will roll with Kane and Taylor all year in center? If not, do you see a trade in the future or giving guys like Freilich or Mitchell a chance despite both of their struggles this year in double A? So, Ryan, let's start with you, prospect man. Uh, first of all, can Joey Weaver play center field? Well, actually, I'm going to work this backwards. So, okay. <laughs> first off, Freilich and Mitchell are both really not playing well with the bat in double A. So I think you can pretty much cross them off yeah. as far as being options for this season. I think that if they are options, it is because they have used them as trade bait to get somebody who can play now. So I think that is the only way they're going to impact this situation this year. As far as Kane and Taylor, uh, do you want them playing center field all year? Probably not. I'm leaning towards saying that this is going to be a thing they need to fix that they're going to need to to find some way of upgrading this by the end of the year on, on some level. What exactly that's going to look like at this point, I don't know. Um, but to get to the first point here, yes, Joey Weimer could go and play center field right now. He has the speed. He has the just general sort of outfield ability to be able to do it. You wouldn't want to do it, though. This would not be a solution that you would turn to in any uh, like as a, a first, second, or a third option. This is a, if things have gone really weirdly bad uh, in this <laughs> whole thing down the stretch and like you just don't have other options and nothing else came to fruition and you want to start having Joey Weimer start some games in center field and then slide over uh, for late inning defensive replacements or even be removed for late inning defensive replacements, there's an outside shot at that. I mean, a very, very outside shot at it. But this would not be, you would not want this to be option one through five on any plans that you'd be coming up with at this point. You're much better off finding another solution here because he's not really a, a center fielder long term. He doesn't play center field now. He, he isn't getting any real work there because the Brewers are filthy loaded with center fielders, unfortunately center fielders that aren't hitting, but they're loaded with center fielders in that sort of area of the, the middle of their farm system right now is mm -hmm. filthy loaded with, farm, with out or with center fielders. So yeah, I, I don't think this is a solution to the problem, but I mean, I could see it like being not an insanely stupid, awful thing to do. Um, if nothing else works, down the stretch, but a whole bunch of things would have to go both really right yeah. and really wrong 
for this to happen. <laughs> so like personally for Weimer, he'd have to just hit the holy shit out of the ball, which he is doing in double A. He yeah. won the the double A player of the week this last week and is absolutely on a tear. OPS up near 1000 is looking like he is really going to be a legit bat. He's making that leap to second or to uh, to double A that you always wonder about for guys. Mm-hmm. But there's a, then also the biggest leap, which is the leap to the major leagues. And so yeah. I, that is something that we're going to have to wait and see on. Yeah. Paul, are you, you know, you, you were out last week and we kind of talked about this too. Are you coming around to that? This is something they need to address at the deadline. Yeah, I do. I think it probably is. I, I think there's a good chance that Kane is washed just because he has looked like an old man for several seasons. Um, he there's nothing in his profile that screams like bad luck or anything close to it. It's all bad. Like there, his his barrel. You know how many barrels? Did you guys mention this last podcast? How many barrels Lorenzo Kane has this year so far? No, we did not. Uh, well, he has zero. Mm. Uh, in 364 pitches, he has yet to barrel a single ball. Um, not ideal. He's he's not a big barreler, but he had nine in a, a thousand pitches last year, so he's off that pace. Uh, his launch angle is 1.3% or 1.3 degrees. Oosh. It's very bad. And I mean, I go out to Savant a lot and look at brewers who are often struggling, see why they're struggling. And I don't see blue very much on it. Uh, blue is the indicator that someone is very bad at a category. And Lorenzo Cain's just loaded with blue. His expected slugging right now is 275, which, you know, his real slugging is also bad, but it's legit. So um, he just looks really rough. He's not giving you anything, and he's 36 years old. It's probably time to hang it up for him. He's been hurt. He's missed seasons. I, I think we can maybe stick a fork in this one. And it's that, even if he does rally for a week or two, they need to address it. Um, Tyrone Taylor's not a long-term center fielder, and they do need to get somebody. I 100% agree. By the way, anybody who's wondering if Jackie Bradley Jr. is any good this year, he is not and is not uh no one should regret that he still sucks no i just regret the alex <laughs> Benellis part of that trade but that's <laughs> not something might and, have been worth it and by the way james did make fun of me on the minor league extra for bringing up Benellis. so yeah <laughs> yeah of course i mean of mostly course. mostly the reason i bring it up is because he's the oak creek kid so like there will be a very certain segment of fans that if Benellis does turn into be a good major leaguer uh that they're going to have a very hard time forgiving the brewers for having traded him away because honestly they're still salty about the fact that uh the brewers took uh, brent brewer instead of tony butler in 2006 so if you want to know how far back that goes goes back that far <laughs> Okay. Wow. All right. Well, since Paul uh, mentioned launch angle, you got to do the Christian Yelich launch angle update, right? (laughs) Jeez. Uh, 9.8%. So still degrees. Degrees. We got to be. We got to be careful. I keep saying saying everything's always in percent, but this is degrees. Yes. This is degrees. Uh, So yes, uh, still still up seven degrees from last season so uh and contextually yes that is even though it's not great for like baseball players as a whole that's really good for christian yelich and well within the zone of where he has been as an mvp yeah his expected slugging is 589 this season when 
he was an MVP or close to it. It was 568 and 630. And that expected slugging is kind of broken this year because of the ball. Um, And so we are expecting too much of slugging, but he is making that kind of contact. If the ball gets into its normal shape at some point, he'll start putting up MVP numbers. Well, you've heard the theory about this from Eno Saris, right? That the current effect of the humidors is to make them more watered down than they or the early in the season that they were watering the balls down more than what the league would have wanted. But as the summer comes on in most places, the effect is going to be when things get really hot and humid out that what is going to happen is the humidors are going to dry the balls out and they are going to make them fly further. So the uh, the early season effect is to make them fly less far but the mid-season effect should be to make them fly further. Yeah, I saw that. Did you see the the Meredith Wills um, write up on nope. the actual ball contraction and expansion theory? No, still in testing. Which is um, the the early effect of the humidor, from what she can tell, is that um, it is mostly serving to to dry out balls that are in the humidor at the moment, uh, which causes them to shrink. Uh, that's not true. The core to get smaller, which causes the the taut leather around the core to also get smaller. And then when they re-enter the proper atmosphere, the core slightly expands and it puts pressure on the uh, the weakest part of the leather and stitching, which is the stitching, which causes the seams to go up um, higher compared to what they would normally do. And um, she she was calling on them to sort of equalize. Th- that so there's not a big change in the ball but also theorized when the summer comes around that will happen that there won't be this drastic change in interior core ball size to push the seams up so same same result interesting super interesting yeah yeah the stuff with the ball is just crazy and it's weird that they're experimenting with it you're right in front of us <laughs> like this i mean yeah so no, those are forward. astrophysicists and Eno. did did you see the conspiracy theory around the balls which is no. all oh, conspiracy that, corner hit me with fr- that it's from i forget which pitchers but it's from pitchers and the pitchers are the pitchers believe that baseball is using a different baseball for primetime games than mm-hmm. they are for the I did hear this. It's the Mets. It's the Mets. Yeah. Because the Mets uh, are of course like it's the Mets. The tinfoil hattiest team of all. Yep. Who and said so the Scherzer? More, off, more yeah. offense in primetime than not on primetime. So that's the conspiracy theory. No proof of uh, that one, just other than yeah, pitchers' testimony. Didn't the Brewers just play like a real what was the score of the Brewers Phillies Sunday night game? It, Wasn't it was big. It was a big game. It, I think it's when I first saw the theory pop up, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I don't know. And, and did some of those balls just sneak into Cincinnati for that 14 to 11? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, I, I love all these conspiracy theories and all the theories about uh, what will happen in the summer and just knowing that there's no chance in hell that Major League Baseball actually accounted for any of this. And they're just <laughs> kind of making it up as they go along. So like uh, they had to have yeah. hired people by so, now for it. Right. Like they, you would think has well, to here's, be here's, kind here's of the thing where they they get themselves in trouble because they always talk about the core. Um, whenever a baseball issues a report about the baseball, they always talk about 
how you know how it bounces and how the core reacts to impact. And they never talk about the seams. And all that Rob Arthur and Meredith Wills and Ina Sarah do is talk about drag, which is the mm-hmm. outside of the ball. It, it baseball never addresses it. They would end a lot of this if they just honestly reported drag findings on their ball and the refusal to do so just plays into all of this going forward. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, I don't know. It, it's just, a, <laughs> I can't really keep up with it. I just know that uh, Freddie Peralta was very fortunate that the, uh, the drag on Ozzy Albee's liner out to end the seventh inning was, uh, sufficient enough to keep it in the bark because Freddie looked like he thought that was gone too. Yeah. I thought I was a little bit worried about that one off the bat, but really for the most part, he controlled that baseball game really, really yeah, well. He did. He was a little shaky in the first, which does that is kind of classic Freddie, but even then like he gave up a, he gave up a single and then he, it was a very long, tedious sort of walk that the guy kind of dragged out. Uh, and then got out of it so i like it was ozuna yeah ozuna just dragged out a long tedious walk and that's not like a terrible inning that's just sometimes some stuff happens yep and then he was just nails for the next six innings so can't really complain about anything in that game yeah absolutely uh, well, thanks for the questions this week, guys. As a reminder, patrons get question priority at patreon.com slash tailgate. We'll put out that call for questions every single week. Even if you're not a patron, you can send us a question on Twitter at tailgate. You can also follow all of us. Ryan is at rdtop. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L on Twitter there. So feel free to send questions that way. Uh, again, if you're not a patron, we, we would appreciate your support in a different way if you'd leave us a five-star review and rating for this podcast as well. A reminder, Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if it's five stars. I don't think we have a new one this week, so uh, Nobody there's did. your incentive. Yeah, we've hit a kind of a lull since the start of the season here. Cowards. Uh, cowards. <laughs> there you go. Called out by Paul. So uh, go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Uh, Make Paul say whatever you want him to say in that space as well. While you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts. uh, It's all the same there. So uh, just hit the subscribe button. You'll get that push alert on your phone when a new episode drops every single week. Appreciate you guys listening in. Uh, hopefully it's a good week for the Brewers. Go out, see a game at the homestand, and we will be back here next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.